You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. This is Women to Watch. To rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams. Women to Watch, sharing the real stories of the most accomplished women in the world. It is for those frightened children who want peace. It is for those voiceless children who want change. Be inspired by women from across the globe who are encouraging more women to pursue their dreams. True philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself and giving what you have been given. Now, Women to Watch. Here's your host, Sue Rocco. Good evening, everyone, and thank you so much for being with me for another week of Women to Watch here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Uh, we're going to have a great show tonight. I'm very, very excited for my guest to be joining me in the studio. Her name is Chrissy Houlihan, and Chrissy is a United States representative for Pennsylvania's 6th Congressional District. She is an engineer, an entrepreneur, and a former United States Air Force officer and captain. And she also happens to be part of an his a historic class of legislators with a record number of women this year. So I'm very, very much looking forward to our conversation. Um, before we get started, we, uh, be sure to stay with us during the breaks, where you'll hear from our amazing team of online contributors, bringing you information on your health, finance, technology, leadership, and diversity. And our audience is continuing to grow, and we love hearing from you. So please be sure to stay connected socially with us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Women to Watch. And if you like the show, you can help us by rating and subscribing to our podcast. And all of that information is at womentowatch.net as well. That's women, the number two, watch.net, N-E-T. So now, Chrissy, I'd love to welcome you to Women to Watch. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for inviting me. I wanted to start off with, um, unfortunately, the audience cannot have a visual of the picture that you sent me when you were a little girl standing with your mom and dad. But I love that picture so much because when I looked at you, I saw such, such a um, sense of confidence in you standing there and I wanted to know what was behind number one that picture and if you recall what you were thinking about in that moment so is that the image with me and my uh with my dad in his uniform and yes my, yeah so yeah. um that was taken when I was a young girl uh, probably I guess third grade maybe uh and I he was going to a formal 
dinner with my mom. Uh, they, he was a Navy officer. And um, I was, I believe, babysitting for my brother for the first time, my younger brother. Uh, and I, I just really remember that picture because my mom made my dress oh. and she made the skirt that she's in as well. Uh, and it was the first home that we had owned uh, as well, which was in the northern part of California where my dad was stationed. So I'm interested that you say I look confident um, because I never really thought of myself as a confident kid. You know, I moved every single year as Mm. the daughter of a naval officer, and that does not good things to one's confidence. (laughs) So, you know what? That was one of my questions for you. I think sometimes when children are moving around a lot, Mm -hmm. um, it's an adventure, Mm. and some. Sometimes it's very challenging to be starting over and over. So I believe that uh, being a child that that moves frequently, it either kind of makes you or breaks you. Uh, And I think it makes you stronger. It certainly has allowed me to see the, the entire nation and some of the world as well. And that did give me insight into the fact that not everybody is the same. Um, but that we also have a lot of commonalities too. So it is hard to be a kid that moves frequently, but I think it made me a better adult and it made me a better representative. And how about that ability to adapt to different situations and different people? Well, I think that it certainly gives you the uh, empathy and and a little bit more understanding that everybody is is different, as as I mentioned. Um, But I also think that it has the opportunity of allowing you to... um, to try on different personalities as well. I know I don't know if a lot of your listeners will be able to relate to this, but every time I'd move, I would think now I can be somebody different. Oh, you know, right. start I over. can start over again. Yeah. Um, and the reality is, is you're never going to be any different. You're mm. still going to be yourself. Well, you um, shouldn't be. Yeah, any and you really shouldn't be. Um, and so those grand schemes and plans of a young girl moving every year never actually came to fruition. I'm still the same person that's <laughs> that good. I was back then. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. I think that's something. You know, when when I talk to a lot of women, I think one of their first bouts of advice for young girls is really stay connected to who you Mm -hmm. are. When Mm -hmm. you try to be someone else, that's when you Mm -hmm. go off course. Mm -hmm. Um, Your dad was a naval aviator born in Poland, and he left the country at the age of four to escape the Holocaust. And I was wondering if he had any memories of that and uh, that he shared with you and, and your family. So my dad was one when the war started and his mom uh, and his grandmother were able to uh, safely give him to a Christian family to raise during the war. And my grandmother and my great-grandmother went to camps, uh, were in the camps, and all three of them survived. Uh, after the war, my grandmother and my great-grandmother came back and found my father, who was what's called a hidden child, hidden within you know, plain sight um, with a Christian family. And the three of them came to the country after the war was over. Uh, and so it's a really important part of my heritage. You know, my story is that my dad is a refugee, and he came here as a very small child with his mom. And this is not um, lost on me, especially with the news cycle of the day and what's happening on our borders, uh, that we really are a remarkable nation with a huge heart. Um, and we've given so much to people like my dad uh, that one generation later, you know, I serve in the House of Representatives is a real testament to the promise that we have to each other. Mm-hmm. And I really want to make sure that we preserve that promise. Yeah. 
Tell me um, about your mom. What was your mom? Sure. So my in? mom was a Navy brat too. Her dad was a career naval officer as well. And in fact, my mom and my dad met because my mom was the oldest daughter of the commander of my dad's squadron. So my dad married the boss's daughter. Very, very clever career move. Uh, <laughs> and it actually wasn't necessarily a clever career move because my mom was quite young when they married. She was 19. And my grandfather had, the story goes that he threatened to send my, ship my dad off uh, rather than have him marry his daughter but they've been married for 50 some almost 55 years at this point in time so I think it worked out okay um, but yeah my mom was a Navy brat as well and then she was uh, as as I was you know moving frequently the the life of a naval spouse is hard uh, it's very very hard to have a continuous career um, it's very very hard to do anything other than serve and uh, the, the family and that at the time that my mom was uh, an active duty Navy wife um, was the the expectation was that she would be kind of part of the career of the of my father mm. you know one of the things that struck me in in reading about you and doing my homework was you know the the different um, industries that you have been in you've been in the military you've been in a corporate role we'll talk about that um, education and now politics um, and then I read someone had asked you who your idols are and you said Indiana Jones and Sally Ride and I would describe them as explorers. Mm. And I wonder if you consider yourself an explorer, and that might be behind, you know, all of your different paths. Well, I think uh, of both of them as being adventuresome, and I think of both of them as taking their skills and their talents, mostly technical, in, in the case of Sally Ride, and in the case of the fictional Indiana Jones, you know, kind of a a cerebral prof professorial guy uh, on the one hand, but a global gallivanter on the other hand. Um, and so I think it is kind of uh, the adventurousness of both of those people, both fictional and real, that uh, inspires me. And I think that you really can um, live a lot of different lives with uh, a really solid set of skills. And one thing that my parents did in, you know, instill in me was a real value for education. Um, my father, as we talked about, was a survivor, and basically the only thing that you couldn't take away from a person, he's told me, was your education. And so this is the only thing I carry with me everywhere is what's happening between my ears. So taking that education and being able to apply it is, is really um, – to a lot of different areas is really important to me. My mom, as we talked about, you know, Navy wife, but she also was the one who instilled a, a sense of wonder of uh, science and math. Mm -hmm. She's the person who sat with me and did my calculus homework, who sat with me and taught me chemistry. Um, she's the person who walked around herself with, you know, a deck of uh, cards for computer programming back in the day when cards were the way, you know, punch wow. cards were the way that we programmed. Yeah. Uh, so she gave me that love of science. Terrific. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk about um, what kind of precipitated your decision to run. It has to do with the Women's March. Stay with us for Dawn's Ear of Nutrisystem for our CEO Watch. Now, the Women to Watch, CEO Watch. Hi everyone, I'm Dawn Zier, here with today's CEO Watch. Today I want to talk about the Turnaround Playbook. I was appointed the CEO of Nutrisystem back in late 2012 to turn it around. Over the five-year period, we took a company that had been in decline and doubled revenues, quintupled operating income, and tripled EBITDA, thereby generating significant shareholder value. The number one question I get asked from people is, what was your playbook? Well, while it was extraordinarily hard work, the concepts were actually pretty basic. The first 60 days were about three things. The first was listening with intent. 
separating fact from fiction and becoming a student of history for the company as well as the industry. Second was assembling the right leadership team, not just to manage the company, but to roll up their sleeves and dig into the details of what was working and what wasn't. This was a team of inside talent as well as new. When you're a small company in crisis, no one has the luxury of just managing. I wanted a team that could work side by side with others in the company, regardless of level. And the third item, which is often the easiest and quickest win in any turnaround, is to focus on cost to make sure that the dollars were being allocated appropriately. We reviewed every line item, identified where we could save, and then reinvested those savings into things such as our e-commerce platform and product development to accelerate growth. Next, we had to identify the key growth drivers for Nutrisystem. For us, it was about two things. One, investing in product innovation around weight loss, and two, returning to the fundamentals of marketing and expanding our points of distribution. Both of these items centered on the consumer, what they wanted, and the channels through which they were engaging. Finally, as always, it comes down to communication and execution. Communicate clearly to all constituents, including your employees, your shareholders, your customers, what the plan is and what success will look like. Report progress and acknowledge any redirects. And most importantly, do what you say you will do. Execute well. Thanks for listening. I'm Dawn Zier. Have a great week. Since 1858, Mount St. Joseph Academy has been educating girls to be leaders, founders, and independent thinkers. Students are taught to be collaborative, courageous, compassionate, confident, and spiritual. In this student-centered environment, the young women are transformed by recognizing their own potential and are encouraged to use it to make a difference in the world. To learn more about Mount St. Joseph Academy, go to www.msjacad.org or call 215-233-3177. That's msjacad.org or 215-233-3177. This is Women to Watch with Sue Rocco. Talk Radio 1210 WPHD. I'm having a wonderful conversation with Chrissy Houlihan, U.S. Representative for Pennsylvania's 6th Congressional District. And uh, I, I read that you um, took a bus trip to the Women's March in 2017, and, and that prompted your consideration to run for office. What was it about that trip? What struck you? So the decision process to run for office uh, was a a prolonged one. There were a couple of different inflection points there. And one was the results of the 2016 election where I really was worried that I didn't recognize our country. Um, We talked about my dad being a a refugee. Uh, He was really broken up by the results of the election because he worried about people like him and people not like him and whether or not we were kind of turning away from the values of our nation. Uh, My daughter, my oldest daughter, is a member of the LGBTQ community, and after the election, she was also quite concerned that that her community was in in a lot of ways uh, in peril. And those two data points when your dad and your daughter are telling you that they're worried, you know, are are really worrisome for a mom and for, you know, a daughter. And so that was the beginning of my process of trying to think, you know, what can I do to be helpful? How did I miss this? What's wrong, you know, with our nation that I can be helpful in healing? Um, And then when I took the bus down to the Women's March, actually inspired because my mom said to me, um, I can't be there for the march, but I can help organize a bus with you. If you can fill it, I will reserve the bus. And so I was challenged to, you know, fill the bus. And so we found 53 other folks that got on the bus with me. We went down there with our signs. It was the most uh, rewarding day, I think, of my life because it was such a peaceful um 
and in positive march. Everyone had a reason for being there, many of them very different from one another, whether it was, you know, women's health care issues or uh, disability issues or LGBTQ or the planet. Uh, it was just a real recognition that we all have so much to be worried about and that we all have the ability to do something about that. And I am the mom of a few girls, and I've always challenged them to to rise to the occasion and figure out what the highest and best use of your skills and talents are. And when I sat and thought on the bus on the way back, I realized, you know, I've been in the military. I've defended our nation. I've, I've grown good businesses that care about people and community and, and the planet. Uh, I've educated kids. I was a chemistry teacher, and I and I ran a nonprofit that focuses on early childhood literacy. And all of those things that I've done with my life are the things that our government should be doing for us as well and helping us do. And so I thought that I had the right kind of skills to be a healer um, in a time when I think our nation really needs people to heal. Um, I had a question from one of our listeners. Uh, her name is Lori Peruto, and, and she wanted to know how did your party affiliation evolve? So I was raised in a military family, uh, and the military, in the military, you are encouraged to leave partisanship at the door and not to, frankly, acknowledge what party you're part of. Uh, you serve at the will of the commander-in-chief, and the people uh, determine who that commander-in-chief will be. And so when I was a young person, I was an independent. I was unaffiliated with a party uh, because it wasn't important. It wasn't something that I should share with other people. I was serving the people. Um, I was able to register as a Democrat when I moved here to Pennsylvania. I've lived here for about 25 years. But again, that party affiliation is not something that I have worn on my sleeve really ever. It's personal. It's private in the same way that I think religion is as well. Um, but when it came time to think about, you know, running for office, it was obviously clear to me uh, where my, my party affiliation stands, which, which is with the Democrats. You know, one of the things I struggle with personally when we talk about politics and think about politics is that when we're creating groups of people that by human nature that leads people to be loyal and almost defensive mm -hmm. to their own group. And I always say, you know, some of my questions about politics may seem naive. You know, why do we have to have two sides? And in thinking about that, I wonder what some of your thoughts are in your role where you're going to have power to make change, um, we can kind of get rid of the polarization that is in Washington, D.C., because that um, frame of mind keeps everything and everyone stuck. I couldn't agree with you more. The community that I represent is 40 percent Democratic, 40 percent Republican, and 20 percent independent or non-party affiliated. So I represent all of those people. Uh, my my job is to be the best representative that I can be for the most of the people in my community. And I do agree with you that in that purple place that I come from, that it's my responsibility to, f to find pragmatic solutions for the people that I represent and that I necessarily need to think about the people that I can reach across to, whether they be across the political aisle to Republicans uh, or whether, frankly, it be uh, on this spectrum to people who are more uh, progressive than I am or than my community is uh, on the political spectrum. It's a huge spectrum, and in some ways, it's not, it's not even linear. It's in, uh, my visualization of it is it's, that it's circular, and sometimes the red and the blue meet back up again You know, on, on some of the, uh, the progressives and the li and libertarians in some cases have a lot in common as well. Mm. So I think of it more as a circle rather than a line. 
my guess is um, our view of what goes on in Washington is different from what you've experienced. And I wanted to know, you know, what has surprised you the most in your first few months there? And then and then also, if you can share something positive that you see going on. So there is actually more bipartisanship than than you read about or that you see on television or that you hear. And that is something that I think is positive to hear about. Um, I serve on the Armed Services Committee. I'm the only Pennsylvanian in the House of Representatives who serves on the House Armed Services Committee. And we uh, just sat together and put together the defense appropriations or the budget uh, or the NDAA. And I was really um, heartened by the fact that my chair of this committee was really working hard to make sure that this huge $700-plus billion budget thought about the planet, thought about the impact of the Defense Department on the planet and whether or not we could find ways to better green the military and think about resilience as well. And bipartisanally, both Democrats and Republicans were on board with that, you know, the importance of that to happen. And what we were able to pass really, really was pretty innovative and revolutionary on that. The Defense Department, the Pentagon acknowledges that climate change is real and that it's a national security issue. Uh, And we were able bipartisanally to do something about that. Perhaps it's a matter of reporting more about things that are actually taking place rather than when, you know, people are butting heads. It's not quite as exciting. You know, right. All we hear about is the, you know, shiny objects. But there really is a lot of real work going on. This Congress so far has passed 300 bills. uh, And we've been in session for about uh, six six months at this point in time. So there's a lot going on. Great. Um, Stay with us for Dr. Marianne Ritchie for your Health Watch and Terry and Maggie for your Finance Watch. You're listening to Women to Watch. We'll be right back. Now, the Women to Watch Health Watch. For Health Watch, I'm Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Complete health care includes attention to your current illness along with appropriate preventive care. Prevention can help you avoid illness and detect problems before you have symptoms. For instance, you don't feel high blood pressure, but left untreated can increase risk for heart attack, stroke, even kidney damage. Abnormal blood pressure used to be 140 over 90. Now we start treatment for 130 over 80. So at a routine visit, your doctor will ask how you feel from head to toe. Do you have headaches, dizziness, change in vision, difficulty sleeping, chest pain or shortness of breath? nausea or vomiting, difficulty swallowing or acid reflux, fever, unexpected weight loss, change in bowel pattern, blood in your stool or urine, joint pain, skin rash or swelling. Any previous medical problems? Have you ever been in the hospital and why? Any previous surgeries? Do you take any medications, even those that are over the counter? Know your family history, especially heart disease, cancers, and be honest, do you smoke or use recreational drugs? How much caffeine and alcohol do you drink? Are you sexually active? Any tattoos? We check weight. Your BMI over 25, it's overweight. Above 30 is obese. We check cholesterol levels, fasting blood sugar for diabetes, and a cardiogram if you're at risk for heart disease. The final plan includes specific advice for your diet, exercise, whether you need daily baby aspirin, screenings for cancers, heart and vascular disease, STDs, osteoporosis, and possible genetic testing. So remember, divas, if you don't take care of yourself, you won't be able to take care of anyone else. It's like they say in an airplane, in an emergency, put your own oxygen mask on first, then help your child. 
Introducing Pathways Consulting Group, a company that will align your IT needs with your business goals. Pathways is a full-service ServiceNow partner. What does that mean? It's simple. Pathways will collaborate and design, develop, and deploy solutions for your company today that will define tomorrow. Pathways will provide world-class enterprise service management solutions. Pathways Consulting Group. They listen. They care. They execute. Go to PathwaysCG.com. That's PathwaysCG.com. If you believe that family, charity, or money is deeply important for the greater good, Fortis Wealth invites you to a highly personalized financial discovery process to help you visualize your financial legacy. It's not for everyone, but if you're willing to invest the time and thought, they can offer advice and strategies to help you accomplish your dreams. Fortis Advisors is a wholly owned subsidiary of Fortis Wealth, an investment advisor registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission. Visit Fortis-Wealth.com today because tomorrow is waiting. The Women to Watch Finance Watch. Hi, this is Terry, And this is Maggie. And we're from Fortis Wealth. Health savings accounts are becoming more popular. So what are they? They're a type of savings account that lets you set aside money on a pre-tax basis to pay for qualified medical expenses. By using untaxed dollars in an HSA to pay for deductibles and other expenses, you may be able to lower your overall health care costs. They are known for their triple tax benefits and can be a vehicle to help with medical expenses and retirement planning. Triple tax benefits? That sounds great. Yeah. The contributions are tax deductible. The money can grow tax deferred if not spent, and the withdrawals are not taxed if they are used for qualified medical expenses. So what's the catch? You may contribute to an HSA only if you have a high deductible health plan or an HDHP, generally one that only covers preventive services before the deductible. For plan year 2019, the minimum deductible is $1,350 for an individual and $2,700 for a family. How much can I put into the account? You can contribute up to $3,500 for self-only coverage and up to $7,000 for family coverage. Do I have to spend the money by a certain date? HSA funds roll over year to year if you don't spend them. Contributions can stay in your account indefinitely. You can even invest them or use the money for health expenses anytime. How should I spend my HSA funds? Use them to cover expenses such as prescriptions, doctor visits, therapy, glasses, dental cleanings, and more. If you decide to use them for non-medical expenses, you'll incur a 20% penalty if you're under the age of 65. Remember to always document your HSA spending by keeping itemized receipts and explanation of benefit statements. What about during retirement? Once you're 65, you can use HSA funds for any purpose. Just know that non-medical withdrawals will be taxed as income. Okay. This is Terry. And this is Maggie. Peace out. You're listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco. Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. I'm speaking to Chrissy Houlihan, the United States Representative for Pennsylvania's 6th Congressional District. Um, here just outside of Philadelphia, my hometown. And I wanted to share a quote with you that I just happened to read this morning. Uh, I'm a board member for the Global Thinkers Forum, and they're doing some incredible work for women's empowerment um, on a global level. And there was a professor of sociology at the University of California who said women's political empowerment may be the one area to focus on to be the leader for all areas of gender equality. And it struck me, I thought it was ironic because I'm speaking to you today and and you're in politics and women's empowerment covers all areas. But I wondered what your thoughts are in hearing that, that should we really make headway in bringing women to leadership 
in uh, politics and in, in making and creating policy, will that spill over to equality for women in all areas? So we are at a, a really interesting point in the Congress. We elected a record number of women this time, uh, but we still are, I think, about 20% of the entire body. Um, and we still have a lot of work to do to be able to truly be uh, at the table and to be able to represent um, women and, and family issues in the way that I think we need to. So I think you're right that we're making progress, um, but it's a little bit like we also only 20% of the body are veterans as well. So I think that there are needs to make sure that the diversity of the Congress and of politics uh, continues to progress and to evolve. And I think that we are seeing positive movement in the in the government, but I think we also need to see it in the boardroom. I think we also need to see it kind of everywhere. And I am a little bit disheartened that I don't think we're making progress fast enough. Uh, and I think that maybe it starts with this this new group of people who are civically engaged in a way that they haven't been before like me. Um, but I think it needs to be happening everywhere as well. We all need a seat at the table. Yeah. You know, you mentioned at the top of the show, we were talking about confidence as, mm-hmm. as a young girl. And I have a daughter. And I think a big part of why women kind of hesitate, I would say, to pursue leadership, I believe is that lack of confidence and self-esteem and belief that they can do it. So how do we balance kind of instilling that in our young girls, but at the same time changing some policies and, and you know, historic um, conditions that have been around and, you know, really need to be changed? So I have three daughters as well, and I also tried really hard when when raising them up to empower them to know that they could do anything, and this gets back to our conversation about education and making sure you've given everybody the tools that they need to be able to do whatever it is that they'd like to do, whatever that success looks like. Uh, And so I think that it is really important that we continue to uh, have places where people can look and see themselves, somebody who looks like them, uh, who is kind of like them in whatever position you're talking about. And it's not just for women and girls. It's for people of color. It's all kinds of diversity that we need to be looking for. And, and I think we have been making some progress on that, but we have, as I mentioned, so much work to do. I think one of the advantages today as opposed to when we were growing up is, and this is to me one of the positives of, of technology and the Internet is bringing the message to a larger mass of people, you know, and perhaps back in our day, we were having these conversations among small groups of of women, and now we can really um, spread that. I want to go back for a minute, and I don't know um, if everyone knows, after leaving active duty, um, you worked for End One Sports. I I wanted to know how you got that job, and I know you were incredibly um, successful there in in bringing the company to a very um, financially sound place. So I wanted to know how did you get that job, and what are you most proud of um, with that role there? Sure. So I joined a very small T-shirt company, but basketball T-shirt company called And One when I was in my early 20s with my husband, actually. I had a one and a three-year-old at the time. And the way that I got that job is that I was in the same freshman dorm as one of the original founders. My husband and I were both in that same freshman dorm. And they, uh, a couple of folks had started this very small startup and loved the game of basketball, but weren't really that interested in finance and operations. Uh, And my background is in operations. My husband's is in finance. 
finance. And so we joined that very, very small startup to help grow oh, that organization. Did. Oh, interesting. Yes, yes. And so yeah. we worked together because we wanted to join an organization that was, back to the diversity, that was diverse and rapidly growing and innovative. And that company ended up evolving into And One, uh, which was a basketball apparel and footwear company. It had a media presence as well. Um, my job was the chief operating officer, which was to scale the organization and to make sure that those really cool ideas made it on time and you know with a profit. But the thing that I'm most proud about was was the incredible company we were able to bring with a real a build with a real spirit. Everyone had healthcare. Everyone had 40 hours of community service. Uh, dogs at work, kids at work, dry cleaning at work. Your drug, <laughs> your prescriptions dropped off at work. You know, are the kind of five. Uh, we had five percent of our profit went to education philanthropic efforts because everybody who was playing basketball didn't necessarily have a career in the NBA, but everybody who was wearing our gear needed a good education. So I'm really, really proud of the organization that we were able to build that really was about more than just making money, but was about doing good as well. Terrific. We're going to take one last break. Stay with us for Mary Manzo for your Tech Watch and Hanadi Shahabuddin for diversity. We'll be right back. This is the Women to Watch, Diversity Watch, Diversity Watch. Peace be upon you all. This is Hanadi with your weekly diversity segment. A couple of weeks ago, I was volunteering with my daughter's Girl Scout troop at Feed My Starving Children. I was so impressed with how organized the process is, and no joke, this organization runs on donations and volunteers. I knew that, but seeing it was an amazing experience. While we were packing the rice and sealing the bags, I was moved by the dedication of people who may have been total strangers, working together with such enthusiasm towards one goal. Sincerity comes across. It's felt and experienced. Examining our intentions from a specific activity will emanate an energy to others. Whether it's a volunteer work or a favor you're doing to someone, it's worth putting an intention behind it, like bringing joy to someone or making someone's life easier. Intentions are most important when the work we're doing is more public, has a face attached to it, or is getting media coverage. Examining why we're doing this work becomes a harder question to answer. Are we doing it primarily for the credit, or is it mainly to show off? Quote, the reward of deeds depends upon the intentions, and every person will get the reward according to what they intended. End quote. Those were Prophet Muhammad's words in encouraging people to aspire for the highest goals, even behind the smallest action. The higher and more sincere the intention, the more valuable and impactful the action. For Muslims... The highest intention is to please God and be good people of high moral values. Sincerity is today's prophetic ethic. While it's always nice to hear good feedback about our work, it shouldn't be the main objective. The credit and the fame is not part of the equation. It's an add-on. Add me to your list by subscribing to my newsletter on hanadispeaksout.com. Who is Holly Dowling? Holly is a dynamic keynote speaker and inspirational thought leader. You see what we have the ability to do and the power we have. You hold the power for good. Each and every one of us can do something. Holly has inspired millions around the world, including over 500,000 executives. And her show is listened to in 87 countries. Now we're going to spend 25 minutes on your areas of opportunity. Listen to our internationally acclaimed podcast, A Celebration of You, Holly Dowling, empowering those who can change the world. HollyDowling.com. Now, the women to watch. Tech Watch. Hi. 
Amiri Manso from Pathways Consulting Group. Everything you do online leaves a trail of breadcrumbs called a digital footprint. Things like leaving a comment on a blog, updating your status on Facebook or LinkedIn, emailing, posting a photo, using Google, etc. And other people can add to your digital footprint. As example, someone tags you in a photo. Your digital footprint is permanent and when compiled builds a profile of who you were and who you are. It's very hard to remove traces of your footprint. In some instances, you might want to increase your footprint to gain better exposure depending on the type of business you're in. In other instances, you may not. Either way, it's important to be mindful that your footprint will follow you wherever you go, so it might be worthwhile to take certain precautions. First step to understanding a little bit about your footprint is to Google yourself. What you see is what others will see. As example, many employers will Google potential candidates to see what type of information is out there about a future employee. When I Googled my name on the first landing page, I appeared three times. When I looked up my images, I appeared four times on the first landing page. And when I looked at videos, I appeared eight times on the first landing page. I didn't have to go any further than the landing page to see what types of information I'm appearing in. Then I Googled my name and town I live in. Everything on the first landing page was about me. I could see information about my divorce. I saw my childhood address and much more. And most of the sites I appear in, I've never even heard of. In my next segment, I'll take you through some steps on how to protect your digital footprint and precautions you can take. Until then, for fun, if you set up a MySpace page years ago, look for it. I guarantee it's still there. If you have any questions on this topic, email me at mary at pathwayscg.com. Now more of Women to Watch with Sue Rocco. Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Chrissy, I have a, a quote here, something you shared with, I guess, a reporter when they were asking you about what you want to do now that you're a congresswoman. Um, you said one of the first steps we must take is to restore a functioning government. Um, I think that's a great, <laughs> that's a great goal. What does that mean to you? To me, that means a government that's able to do the work of the people, you know, that's focusing on the issues that are uh, what keeps people up at night, you know, uh, health care, quality, affordable, accessible health care for people, a great education system that brings people up uh, with with skills that they need to compete in this economy, this global economy, uh, concern about the planet, concern about the safety of our communities. Um, and those kinds of things are the things that everybody can agree on, independent of party. And those are the kinds of things that the government ought to be helpful in in thinking about and, and not just bringing solutions to the problem, but also uh, kind of collaborative, uh, collaboratively with business, collaboratively with nonprofits, collaboratively with our communities. Uh, and I think right now our government is really, really, really broken, uh, and it needs a new, fresh set of people with a fresh set of experiences to to make a difference. I think that sometimes, um, when I say our outsiders, non-political folks, um, see that once a person gets a certain role in government. There's, there's some power that comes to that, and so they sometimes lose their way. So they go in with good intentions and wanting to make a difference, and then the attention and the kind of the superficial um, environment that surrounds them leads them astray. So I, I wanted to ask you how you plan to stay Chrissy Houlihan and, and true to your values and your desires with all of this new attention that is going to come your way. 
So I think you've got this really remarkable new class of people who are down in Washington now. 80 or so of us are new down there, and many of us are like me and have never really even thought of running for office in any way, shape, or form. And we are far enough along in our careers and confident enough in what we've already accomplished that we really aren't in this for the glory or for the attention or for the adulation, but we're in it because we're concerned. You know, we're concerned about our country. And I'm not here to be wheeled off the floor of the House of Representatives. I'm not here, you know, to, to, to benefit from anything other than this is my calling. This is something that I have to do. And you're right. It is hard to make sure that you keep your soul and that you keep your why you're here. Um, but it is also pretty easy for me to understand that this is not the hardest thing I've ever done. And, and I, it's really important that I just make sure that I maintain my, myself while I'm here on behalf of all of us. Yeah, you have done some pretty hard things. I mean, really, to look at your career and your life on paper, it's incredibly impressive to me. You've done, um, first of all, you've just had leadership across multiple um, industries and fields. And I wanted to kind of find out what drives you. What is it that you just mentioned the word calling for, you know, your, your role as a congresswoman. What is it that's driving you every day when it's hard and you're tired and it's a lot of hours? I'm trying to leave the planet a better place than I got here, than, it, than when I got here. And I think that I'm trying to use what I know how to do and my passions in the best way that I can. Um, and so that drives me. Um, and I'm looking to um, be as helpful as I can be. And so, you know, the hardest thing I ever did was to be a teacher of chemistry in North Philadelphia. And um, I, I, I take that with me everywhere because, again, it's my job to figure out how to make every child, you know, have the opportunities that my children had. And um, that's, th that's what drives me. So, Chrissy, when we talk about all of the problems that are going on in the country, um, I tend to look more on the things that are going well. And I think what that does for people is takes them out of a place of, fear and anger and concern and allows conversations to be more getting to the truth of, of the matter. So if I were to say to you, you know, what is, as a mother, what is the one thing that keeps you up at night? What is the one thing you would like to see um, change in our country for the better if you didn't have the opportunity to have your hands in a lot of different pieces of the puzzle. So, you know, I ran for Congress for a lot of reasons that we've discussed, and I ran for almost two years. And I began with one intent, you know, and learned from my community about all of the issues that we care about, and that's what I bring to, to Washington. But what I also learned in, along the journey is that a big issue uh, is decency and civility. You know, a big issue in our country right now is that we are not seeing each other and we're not talking to each other and we're not colliding with each other in the ways that I think we used to when, you know, I was a younger person. And so because we no longer see each other um, and we're not colliding with each other in the way that we need to, we don't, we other each other, you know, and we're not mm -hmm. being good to one another and giving everybody the benefit of the doubt. Um, and I think we're becoming even more and more divided as the days go by because we're we're getting our media from different places, we're, you know deciding that somebody doesn't believe in me in, you know, you're, you're the wrong party, you know, those kinds of things are mm -hmm. horrible. Um, and we need to stop that. We need to knock it off. And I think that became a real issue uh, on our campaign and something that I take with me to Washington all the time is we need to knock it off. We need to do the right thing for the people, all of the people. And we need to know that all of the people are trying to do the right thing for themselves. Yes. And one of the things, you know, disagreeing 
having a different opinion doesn't make you an evil person. Mm -hmm. And so the language that's being used is really, if you don't agree, then you're somehow evil. Um, and, I, you know, when I think about decency and kindness, I wish I could look into a crystal ball and see the truth of the matter. How, were, were people back in the day um, kinder and, and, you know, more decent? Um, or is it, more, you know, really your circumstance, where you come from, what, what types of people you grew up with and, and experience in your life? And that's just me trying to get to the truth of the matter. Um, but well, in, in our town halls, we have town halls at least once a month. And we actually set the stage by saying, you know, we're going to set some norms about how we're going to conduct ourselves. We are going to assume that the best out of everyone and we're going to give everybody the space to have an opinion, you know, and to express that. But to assume that everybody else, you know, is a, is a patriot, you know, loves our nation just like we do. Right. Uh, and that, I think, is a really good reset. I think it's really important. I think one of the reasons why Washington is broken is that we've gotten to the point where we, as, as it uh, – legislators literally leave town every weekend and we no longer have the opportunity to meet each other to you know hang out on the same ball field or to raise our kids together or those kinds of things that means that you don't know anybody when you're down in Washington to be able to trust in them to be able to reach across the aisle or you know to find your commonalities and that's broken uh, and that's that happens because we are demanding our legislators to be home every weekend. Mm. Well, listen, I I would love to have you back maybe in another six months and we'll see, you know, what has what has changed, what your experience has been like, how you're feeling. And um, I'm so grateful that you came and joined me today. I know how busy your schedule is. Thank you. Thank you again for having me. Thank you so much. That was Chrissy Houlihan, U.S. Representative for Pennsylvania's 6th Congressional District. And that is the end of the show. I want to say thank you to all of our sponsors and contributors for helping me to bring you the real story behind her title. Have a great week, everyone. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.